Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 15, please. We are, we're really going through the book of Acts as a church right now, but we're taking a little bit of a a break and going on a three-week excursion into this issue of of conscience. And we're doing this because we are at a time in our our culture where issues of conscience can really threaten the, the unity of the church. Right now at Bethany Community Church, I'm not aware of factions or anything like that being uh, developing as a result of different convictions regarding conscience issue. But as we were talking about this as elders several weeks ago, we recognized this is a a very timely thing for us to talk about as a church. And so we're spending three weeks talking about conscience-related issues. As we've talked about before, in the book of Romans, you're dealing with two groups of believers. One group of believers believes it's okay to eat meat. The other group of believers believe that it's not okay to eat meat. And so the question is, how can the people who believe it's okay and the people who don't believe it's okay function as a, as a single church? How can they worship the Lord together? That's Paul's goal for these believers, that they would be able to, to worship God as one despite their differences. And that's, that's our goal as well. There are kind of three three different uh, principles that we're considering as we go through Romans 14 and 15. The first one we looked at the first week, and the first one was to not judge or despise one another over issues of conscience, not to judge or despise one another. Instead, we're to, to welcome each other. The second principle that we looked at was to pursue building up your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we talked about what, what that looks like to pursue that. In the very end of Romans 14, by the way, if you remember, we saw this. We saw that we need to obey our conscience. Remember at verse 23, it says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so we need to obey our conscience. We need to live in such a way that what we're doing is coming from the faith that we're walking in obedience to God. We need to obey our conscience. Now, there are a lot of questions that have, that have come my way from that last idea that we need to obey our conscience. And we're going to talk through some of those questions this morning. And in fact, we're going to spend most of our time kind of unpacking the end of chapter 14 and only talk for just a couple minutes about the last principle, which is to imitate Christ. And Uh, If you would stand with me as we read Romans 15. And if you remember, the the main idea of the the series is that the unity of the church and the glory of God is achieved not when I judge my brother, but when I lay down my life for my brother or my sister. And that's, that's what we're trying to pursue. So here's what we read in Romans 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome 
one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who, ri- who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You may be seated. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we would ab- abound in hope, uh, the hope of our unity with you, uh, our union with you in eternity, and the hope of, of joy in our relationships with one another. Bless our study this morning, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we unpack the end of, of Romans 14 and the idea that we need to obey our conscience, there are, are really two questions that we're going to spend most of our time thinking about together this morning. Uh, the first question that we're going to look at is, okay, um, what are some potential challenges of obeying my conscience? And then the second question that we're going to walk through together this morning is, how do I rightly calibrate or, or set or adjust my conscience? Here's, here's the big idea. Here's the, the big thing that we're trying to accomplish as a church this morning. This is our, our goal. And so if you're a young person or an older person taking notes, here's what we're writing down. My, my goal is this, as we think about the conscience. I want to develop a conscience that will help me glorify God with my life as I obey him and serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, my, my goal here is I want to walk in obedience to God. And my conscience, remember the conscience is that thing that God has given us that helps us sense whether something is right or wrong. And we're going to talk about the problems with the conscience this morning. So what, what, what I want my goal to be as I think about a conscience, I want to have a conscience that can help me glorify, my, my, glorify God with my life as I obey him. I want a conscience telling me the right things to do in order to obey God. And I also want a conscience that's going to Give me the freedom to serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's my goal. My goal for a conscience is not to have a conscience that's going to let me get away with as much as I possibly can. My goal in having a conscience is that God would help me glorify, God, glorify him with my life as I obey him and serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's look at the first question. Question number one, as we think about that. What are the potential challenges I face as I try to obey my, my conscience? What sort of obstacles exist? I say, okay, my goal is to walk in obedience to God. I have this conscience. I need to obey it. What are some challenges that face us? Here's, we're going to look at three as we, we think about this. Number one, one problem is I might have seared my conscience. I might have seared my conscience. What does that word seared mean? Well, look at 1 Timothy 4. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul tells this to Timothy. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, deceitful spirits, and teachings of demons. Now, how, how, how are some, who, who in their right mind would stand in front of people and teach them things that are 
deceptive. Well, Paul says, it's going to be through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are, are seared. And that word that Paul uses there, seared, could refer to like the, the, the hot iron touching flesh. And so maybe a, a surgeon would be performing some sort of surgery or operation and they would take a hot iron and, and put it against the flesh and it would, it would cauterize, it would, it would, it would cause that, that flesh to, to no longer be able to, to, to sense anything. A, a seared conscience doesn't have the ability to, to sense anything. It's, it's, it's seared, it's, it's dead due to, due to exposure to something. So a seared conscience is a, a conscience that no longer can rightly sense whenever something is wrong. I have the desire to walk in obedience to God. I say, okay, well, I need to obey my conscience, and I'm doing this thing, and my conscience doesn't feel any, anything, so I, I, guess, I guess it's okay. Well, one challenge to me might be that my conscience has been seared. Maybe some of you have seen the, the Walt Disney movie, Pinocchio. Anyone seen Pinocchio? It's a, a little bit old, maybe, but you have Disney Plus now, so maybe some of you kids have, have seen that. Uh, in, in, in Jiminy, Cricket is one of the characters in Pinocchio, and he's the little cricket that is supposed to tell... Pinocchio, what's right or wrong? Pinocchio is not a real boy yet. He's this puppet. And so Jiminy Cricket is supposed to be his conscience, telling him what's right or wrong. The Blue Fairy gives Jiminy Cricket that, that task. And in the Disney movie, remember, uh, Jiminy Cricket sings Pinocchio that song. Like, give, me a, give a little whistle. When you need your conscience, give a little whistle. When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. When you meet temptation and the urge is very strong, give a little whistle, give a little whistle. Take the straight and narrow path, and if you start to, to slide, give a little whistle, et cetera, et cetera, and always let your conscience be your guide. That's Jiminy Cricket's role for Pinocchio. Now, in the original Pinocchio, it wasn't Jiminy Cricket, it was the talking cricket. That was that character's name, is in the Italian book from the late 1800s. And you know how Pinocchio dealt with the talking cricket? He took a mallet and smashed him, you know, and so he no longer had to listen to, to Jiminy Cricket, or the talking cricket, you know. It was the squish cricket. And it, it came back as a ghost or something. I don't the ghost cricket. Some of us have taken a mallet to our conscience, right? We have this little conscience telling us what to do. You know what I'm going to do? Just take a mallet to that thing. And as, as we continue to walk in disobedience to God, that, that, that voice of the conscience becomes less and less. So that's one challenge. You say, well, I, obey, I want to obey my conscience. Well, some of us have taken a mallet to it, and so it's, it's not operating as God would have it operate. That's one challenge. What's another challenge? Another challenge is I, I might not know if I'm the weaker or stronger brother. In fact, I want, I want to talk a little bit more about weaker and stronger brother because I had a lot of questions about this over the last few weeks. Even, uh, Whitney, this last week as we were having coffee together one morning, she said, okay, Daniel, beginning of Romans, it says the one who's weak in faith. And, and you're describing these activities, and I'm saying, well, I don't feel comfortable doing those things, so I guess I'm the one who's weak in faith. And, and Whitney said, well, does that mean I'm, I know, I know you're saying I'm not sinning, but am I wrong? <laughs> am I in the wrong because I don't have a strong conscience? And some of you have, have put it this way. You've said, okay, I'm living my Christian life and here's this activity here. It's, it's watching this movie. And this other Christian thinks it's okay. And I'm not comfortable saying they're wrong, but I don't feel like I have the freedom to do that. So I guess you're saying, Daniel, that I'm the one who's weak in faith. But 
weakened faith doesn't, it doesn't feel like the right word, the right phrase to describe how I'm living right now. I, I, I feel like I'm living in a way that is, is strong and believing in God and wanting to honor Him and glorify Him. So it, that phrase seems off. Let, let, let's think about that. A couple words that might help us to, to think about to understand stronger, weaker, and, and what this means. One word, is, again, remember the word conscience. Remember the word conscience is the book that I recommended to you by Nacelle and Crowley that I'm, I'm gleaning many things from. As they define conscience this way, the conscience is your consciousness of what's right or wrong. So just rem- that our conscience is our awareness of something being right or wrong. Now also, remember the word faith. When we hear the word faith and we see it in Scripture, sometimes we automatically think, well, that's, that's talking about saving faith. It's talking about believing in Jesus. And so if I'm weak in faith, we think, well, you're saying that I'm weak in believing in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and that's, that's not what we're saying at all. That word faith can also mean, or, or does mean, assurance or, or trust. And so when we're talking about faith in regards to a particular issue, what we're saying is I have faith or trust that this thing is an okay thing for me to do. So perhaps it is playing sports on Sunday. I, I have faith or assurance that that is or is not an okay thing to do, an okay thing for me to do to, in order to glorify God. And so that word, another word to think about, the word weak, that word weak or, or the word strong for that matter, is referring to the, the level of assurance that I have that this thing is okay for me to do. So a person who is weak in faith has less assurance that this is an okay thing for, for me to do as a believer in order to glorify God, especially for me personally. It's not saying I have less belief that Jesus is the Lord. It's not saying that I have uh, less conviction that, that, that Jesus is God or, or any of those, those important doctrinal issues. What it's saying is I'm weak in faith, I'm weak in assurance, I'm weak in belief that this activity in itself is going to be the way to glorify God. So a, a couple thoughts about that. One thought is it's important for us to remember that a person who may say, well, I'm, st- I'm the stronger brother, they may be wrong. <laughs> they may actually just be the, the sinning brother or sister. So they think, well, I'm the stronger brother, I don't, think, I don't have a problem with that. No, really, in reality, they, they may be, maybe not, in sin. Another thing that I, I think is important for us to remember is it's a good thing for us to recognize our frailty and our weaknesses. In other words, sometimes in our pride, and, and I've been thinking through this in my own life, I can say, well, I just want to be strong. And, and any sort of acknowledgement of weakness in an area, that's, that's a negative thing, and I, I, don't want to, I don't want to have that to be true of me. But brothers and sisters, sometimes just saying, you know what, I, I'm weak in this area is a good thing. God wants us to do that, so we rely upon his son. For example, let's say, uh, the, the illustration I gave in first service was the idea of, of a person who may say, I, I struggle with Facebook. Facebook is not a, a healthy place for me to go. I, I go there and I become envious of other people or I waste time on Facebook. Or I go there and I see what my uh, brother-in-law has put on his, his hot sports opinions about politics, and I just get infuriated. How can he think that? And so I go on Facebook, and I, and I just get frustrated. 
Well, you know what you need to do? You say, you know what? I lack assurance that this is a good place for me to, do, to go. I, I'm, I'm weaker in that sense. I, 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 sh- I should stay away from that. It is a healthy thing for a Christian to recognize when an area might cause them to not live in a godly way. There's nothing sinful about that whatsoever. You, you want to recognize that. So it's good. You, you rely upon Christ. You know what? I'm not going to do this because I want to glorify God. I'm relying upon Christ to, to help me walk in a way that, that glorifies him. So it's good. Another thought here, another thought about being stronger or weaker and so forth, he said, well, Daniel, shouldn't we want to be strong? If we were to talk to Paul and say, Paul, don't we want to be the stronger brother? Paul might say, well, well yeah, of course, sure. We all want to, to grow in our sanctification. We want to get to the point where we can, can do whatever God would, would desire us to do. But, but, but our goal in becoming stronger is not so we can just do whatever our flesh desires, do as much as we can. Our, our goal in that is so that we can glorify God and care for others. So, with all that being said, you say, okay, how, how is this an obstacle? I, I don't know if I'm the, the weaker or stronger brother. What this means is, if it'd be really easy if I could just say, you know what, I'm always the weaker brother. You know, I'm just the guy who walks around, I'm just the weaker, I'm just the weaker Christian, so I know that my conscience, as I obey my conscience, I'm, I'm obeying a weaker conscience. But the problem is, I'm not always the weaker brother, and I'm not always the stronger brother. When it comes to different issues, I, I might be the weaker brother, and in other issues, I might be the stronger brother, and I don't always know which is true of me and which issues. Sometimes I'm, I might think I'm the stronger brother on the sinning brother. It, it's hard. That's what I'm saying. This is a challenge. In fact, here's, here's kind of a, a good chart, I think, from that book on conscience by Nacelle and Crowley. You have just one issue. And on one issue, you might simultaneously be the stronger and the weaker brother or sister. He gives the example here of the, the meat that's sacrificed potentially to idols. And so you have a, a, a church and there are people who have various convictions. And your conviction is, look, I can buy meat in the market. You don't say anything to me. Buy the meat, not a problem. But you've got some weaker brothers or sisters. And the, the weaker sister says, look, I, can only, I can't buy meat in the markets. I can only meet, eat meat that's been properly prepared. And you have another brother who says, I'm, not, I'm just not going to eat meat at all. And then here's you, you, and you're okay with eating meat that's been bought in the marketplace. And then you've got this brother over here who, you know, eat meat sacrificed to idols? Mm, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. It's delicious. Yum. What, give me some more, right? I mean, it's not, not a problem. And so simultaneously, here you are, and you're, you're both weaker and stronger than another believer. So this, this is a problem as we think, okay, I want to obey my conscience. We, it's hard to know, am, am I the, the weaker, stronger brother? We have to think through that. Then here's a third challenge for us. Third challenge is, I, I might not be aware of what's I- exactly shaping my conscience. So I, I have these convictions and this sense, this conscience, this sense of what's right and wrong, and I think that it's Scripture or biblical principles that's shaping my conscience. Here's the first-tier issues, and the, the conscience helps me apply first-tier issues as I walk around and live life. I say, okay, I know I shouldn't lie, and here's, here's uh, tax returns. My conscience would bother me if I, I cheated on my, my tax returns. Or I know it's wrong to steal, and so here's my, my neighbor's stuff. I'm, I'm not going to steal those things. And so 
we, we have our conscience and we, we're walking around living life applying these, these first two issues. But one of the problems is I might not always be aware of what's shaping my, my conscience. In fact, here's, a, here's another illustration from the book. You can't see it quite as clearly, but here's Paul's conscience, if you will. And you have one part of his conscience that's informed by God's will. And then you have another part of his conscience that's kind of informed by his culture and by his personal preferences. But the line between the two, I don't know if you can see it very well on that, that chart, the line between the two isn't, isn't solid. It's not very clear always what is being shaped by, by what. There's a, a great illustration that, that's used in the book. One of the, one of the writers, uh, Crowley, in the book, uh, lived in Cambodia for a period of time. And one year he planted a mango tree and waited year after year for the, the mangoes to, to come into fruition. And then one year, three mangoes. And they weren't all that great looking, but he was super excited because now he was going to be able to enjoy the fruit of this mango tree. And he had a, a friend come over, help him on a project, and he was shocked to find that when his, his friend had left, his Cambodian friend had left, he had taken all three mangoes and eaten them. And, and Crowley was, was very disturbed by this. He, this was what? This was theft. And he, and he talked to his friend about this, and, and he, was, he was deeply bothered by, by, the, by the fact that his friend had no conception of of the, the wrong that he had done. And Crowley's thinking, this guy's conscience is seared. The, the, the Bible says, don't steal. This is, this is stealing, and he's not even bothered by it. This, this poor, poor man not having the ability to have his, his, his conscience rightly direct him. And what's, what's his friend thinking? His friend is thinking, man, this guy is stingy. This guy does not love his neighbors. Here's, a, here's this first-tier principle of, of of being generous and sharing, and it had never entered into his mind that a, that a tree, not walled off or anything, would, would be restricted from me. And so there was a cultural difference between these two that they had to kind of talk through. And Crowley said, I, I was wrong, but my conscience was, was incorrectly attributing sin to my brother who was not sinning whatsoever. My understanding of property rights from an American cultural context was was not fair to apply to my brother here. So, there's challenges, right? There's challenges. And what do all these challenges mean? It means that we need to, to calibrate or to set our consciences rightly, to, to adjust our consciences to how God would have them be. It's like if you're driving down Dallas Road, driving south on Dallas Road here in Washington, you drive past that speed sign that, that clocks, you know, has like a radar in it and, and shows you how fast you're going. And uh, sometimes, sometimes you're, you're going, uh, you're never going under it, are you? Uh, sometimes you're going a little bit over it and sometimes you're going a lot over it. And you, what, what do you, I don't know if you do this, but every time I drive by it, I, I look at what the posted speed limit is and what it says that I'm going, and I look at my, my dashboard to look at my speedometer. Is, is my speedometer calibrated rightly? And I realize, well, of course my speedometer is calibrated rightly. That thing must be way off or something like that. I told you before, like whenever I, whenever I bought a, 
a running watch with a GPS in it, how I took the running watch and I turned it on and I drove around my car, had a Garmin navigator and just kind of like double checked to make sure that everything was calibrated rightly. You know, I've got issues, right? But as you think about your conscience, what do you want? You want to have conscience that's calibrated, that's set according to God's will. And so we're going to have to make some adjustments to our consciences because of these challenges. So how do we do that? That's the next question. How do I calibrate my conscience? How do I rightly make sure that my conscience is set according to, to what God would have me think and believe and know and do? A couple thoughts here. Se- seven thoughts that I think will help us calibrate our consciences correctly. Number one, we want to remember the goal of life. Start there. The goal of my life is not to indulge my flesh. And if the goal of my life is to indulge my flesh, we think about Galatians 5 and the, and the fruit of the, the, the deeds of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, uh, drunkenness, and those th- things like that. If, that. if that's what I desire, and I want to allow myself to do all the things that my flesh desires to do, my conscience is never going to be calibrated correctly. But I would say, okay, the, the goal of my life the goal of my life is to glorify God. Th- that's what Paul is saying throughout Romans 14, that both brothers, both sisters who have these different opinions, both of them have to come to the conviction, look, my goal is to glorify God in my life. Whatever it takes for me to walk in obedience to him in a way that glorifies him, that's what I'm going to do. I- I'm willing to give up anything. I'm willing to sacrifice anything. I'm willing to do anything that I need to do, whatever I need to do, to walk in radical obedience to God, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to get stressed about never eating meat again. I'm not going to get stressed about having to eat vegetables all the time. I'm not going to get stressed about laying down my freedoms. Whatever God wants me to do to glorify him, that's what I'm going to do. That's going to be the the determining factor of what's right and wrong. That's going to be the thing that shapes my conscience more than anything else, keeping that goal first and foremost in my, my heart. I'm in a dating relationship, and, and my goal isn't, well, how much physical contact can I have before I sin? My goal is, how can I treat my brother or sister in Christ in this friendship in a way that, that, that glorifies God? I, I'm in a, a business relationship, and my goal isn't, how much can I take advantage of the other person before it becomes wrong? My goal is, how can I live in this business relationship with a way that glorifies God the most? That becomes my driving passion. Number two, how else do I think about calibrating or setting my conscience? Number two, I, I read God's word. I, I come to God's word, and as I come to God's word, I, I understand who God is. I understand his character, and I understand his laws and his rules. As the psalmist says in Psalm 119, the beginning, blessed are those whose way is blameless, and how, how does he define blameless? Those who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. In other words, as you come to God's word and you're seeking to understand what he would have you do, you're actually seeking God himself. 
you've commanded, verse 4, your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. As I read God's word, I know him and I know his character. I become more like him. I love his commandments as they flow from his character. And I also, and this is very important, I also, as I go to his word and I find out who he is and what he loves and how his commandments flow from his character, I gain a greater understanding of the difference between the, the weightier and the lesser commands of God. The, the weightier, the more important things, and the things that, that aren't that big of a deal or that aren't as big of a deal. As Jesus would tell the Pharisees, look, you, you, you scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. This is Matthew 23. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and and, and yet, even though you're so focused on making sure you tithe the right amount, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So, as I become more aware, as I read God's word, I become more aware of the weightier things. I'm going to be more concerned about making sure that, that I, as a believer, am, am following the weightier concerns of God. I'm going to be less concerned about the, the things that are, are less important, they're more open to interpretation. And that's going to be true in my, in my interactions with you. You know, I'm going to be less concerned that you like classic rock and I might be uncomfortable with that. I'm going to be less concerned with that and more concerned about your, your spiritual walk with the Lord. I'm going to be less concerned with some things, more concerned with others. Number three, number three, we need to think theologically and beware of emotion-fueled convictions. As we begin to think biblically about what God would have us do and how we'd walk in a way that is obedient to him, we need to be careful and say, you know what, I, I think some of these things that my conscience is bothered by, this is, this is more emotion than theology. <laughs> this is being driven by, a, by an emotional reaction to something, not, not a theological conviction. Paul's instruction is to walk by the Spirit, again, in, in Galatians 5. And so, okay, is, is my life reflecting the fruit, fruit of the Spirit? Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And so there's, there's an emotional conviction sometimes we have of things, but really that's, that's just our, our flesh speaking sometimes. So I want to make sure, is this, is this an, a, a God-glorifying conviction that I have, or is this just... I just have an emotional attachment to this, this thing. I, I call it a conscience issue. For example, uh, I grew up in a church where the, the translation of choice was the, the New American Standard Bible. And in, in my, the circles, and I'm not sure if this was communicated to me explicitly or I, this is just what I picked up on, if you weren't using the New American Standard Bible, you weren't really reading the Bible. You were either reading like the old King James, which was, you know, that was, those people were way too conservative, and the people who were reading other translations were way too liberal. We, with the New American Standard, had, had finally figured it out, right? Uh, actually, got kind of an amen on that in the first service. But, um, but, but as, I, as I came to Peoria and started ministering at a church, I was, I was shocked to find that this theologically conservative church was using the NIV. 
And it just, you know, as a young man, I was like, I don't, I don't, wow, this is, this is shocking to me. And then, you know, I realized, you know what, this is, this is emotional more than theological. This is an emotional conviction, not, not theological in terms of it being right or wrong to use one version over the other. I, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm these aren't emotion-fueled convictions. I think about many issues are, are emotion-fueled, music or some of the language that we use to describe racial uh, issues in our country, it's, it's, um, it's not born of biblical, theological, careful consideration, but sometimes our emotions are, are driving us. Number four, a fourth thing to encourage us here with, I would encourage us as we develop and calibrate our conscience to, to discuss conscience issues with spiritually mature believers to discuss these things with spiritually mature believers. In Proverbs 11, 14, it says there's, a, uh, in, there's, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. And what we're saying here is not that your conscience convictions are going to be what I use ultimately to decide what's right or wrong. But as I, as I struggle with understanding different conscience issues, I'm going to say, you know what, who are some people who are walking in obedience to the Lord? That I look at their life and, and their life reflects someone who is committed to God and his holiness and his glory. And, and let, me just, let me just talk with them about some of these issues. How, how do you handle your kids wanting to watch this movie? How, how do you handle your kids wanting to, to wear certain outfits to, to, to church? Or how do you handle your kids wanting to be involved in this activity or, or that activity? How, how do you think through those things? It's going to be a lot of wisdom found and, and checking your motives as you talk to other spiritually minded believers, mature believers. A fifth encouragement I would give us here as we develop and calibrate our conscience is to give yourself time when possible. Now, now sometimes you're not going to have time. Think about Peter in Acts chapter 10 where uh, Peter's conscience didn't allow him to be with Gentiles and to eat with them and and God had to deal with that problem with Peter's conscience quickly and, and in a dramatic fashion. And sometimes that may happen to you and I as well. But, but other times we have time. We're going to say, okay, I might be the weaker believer here. And in fact, sometimes my weaker conscience may be hindering my ability to, to minister to other believers. And so I just want to think through this. And, and I, I don't have to make a decision quickly. I don't want to do something that's not going to glorify God. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about it. I'm going to talk about it with, with other believers. I'm going I'm to carefully consider. Other times I might think, well, I'm the stronger brother, so this isn't a big deal. But I, as I think about it more, you know, I'm going to give myself some time here before I just start doing this. I'm going to think through, am I really thinking about this biblically? Because some people I really respect have a different opinion. I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but during the, the summer there were a lot of hot-button issues that were taking place, especially regards to some, some racial issues and how to think about that. And there was, there was a lot of pressure to say some things and to say some things quickly. And it, it, it troubled me. I said, you know, I, I, just, I need some time before I, I say a lot. And I want to be very careful and make sure I'm saying it in the right context, in the right way, and that my, my words are appropriate. And so I just needed some time. You know. Twitter is is usually not a good place to think through conscience issues, right? Facebook, probably not the best place. I'm not, I'm not attacking big tech here, you know. I own stock like everybody else, so um, whatever. You know what I'm saying. We want to give ourselves time when possible. Last two principles go together here. Number six, 
Add things to your conscience when appropriate. Okay. When it's appropriate, there, there are going to be some times where you say, you know what, I, my conscience needs to have some more convictions here. I recognize that, that I was, I was uh, able to watch this movie and, and it didn't bother me, but you know, as the more I think about it, the more I go to God's word, th- this should have bothered me more. The, the things that I'm, I'm taking into my mind, this, this should have bothered me some more. This, the, the sexual scenes that I was allowing my eyes to view, that affected me more than I was realized. I, I, need, I, I need to add some things to my conscience. I have uh, I've been not engaged in church life and caring for other people. I've been so concerned about maybe, uh, again, apply these as appropriate. Maybe I've been, maybe I've pulled back from church because I'm concerned about some things, and so I've also pulled back from being involved in other believers' lives, and that's, and as I think about it, I was like, you know what, I, I need to be more convicted by that, and I need to engage sacrificially in other people's lives, even when it's uncomfortable, and I, I, need, to get, I need to get engaged in that, and so I need to add some things to my conscience. But then, the last principle, I also need to be okay with subtracti- subtracting things from my conscience when appropriate. I need to be okay with some tra- subtracting things from my conscience when appropriate. So, for example, maybe I've uh, maybe I've I've had some some conscience things that were basically just rules that my family had when I was a kid, like a, a clean room or uh, certain types of punctuality, or my uh, Whitney's family had a rule about not singing at the dinner table. And I need to say, you know what? Those are okay decisions and rules for me to have in my home, but that's not a conscience issue. That's not a thus saith the Lord. I need, I need to, that, that thing needs, if I hear another Christian doing that, that needs to not bother me. That needs to not, not trouble me because it's not, it's not an important issue. It's not a, a conscience, it's not rightly a conscience issue. Encourage you, obey your conscience no matter what, but make sure that conscience is rightly calibrated. I want to develop a conscience that helps me glorify God as I obey him and then serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, here's the last principle. We don't, and real, real quickly, imitate Christ's acceptance. This is the last thing we want to do. As we think about building each other up, as we think about not judging one another, we also want to imitate Christ's acceptance of us. Now, in a few years, we're going to go through Romans, and we'll, we'll touch more on Romans 15. We'll go more deeply into this. But just, just notice this. Number one, this means we put others first like Christ did. And we see this in verses 1 through 6. We're, we're pleasing our neighbor. Christ did not please himself. Instead, he, he was reproached. And then number two, we're receiving one another like Christ did. And we see this in verses 7 through 13. I tell you in verse eighty, he said, or verse 7, he says, uh, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There's that word again, right? Welcome. Welcome. The unity of the church and the glory of God is achieved not when I judge my brother, but rather when I lay down my life for my brother or my sister. I, I welcome him or her for fellowship. Father, we confess that again to you this morning. For those who have not entered into a relationship with you through faith in your son Jesus, we pray that you would draw them to you even now, even this moment, allowing them to place their faith and their trust in your son Jesus alone for salvation. We pray this in his name.
Amen.